So welcome to this uh, last session before we break for lunchtime. And uh, it was great to come across uh, David McLaughlin's name uh, in the last year. I hadn't come across David before, but he was responding to a fantastic book by Brian Brock, who'd wondrously wounded. And I discovered he was a Baptist as well. And so I thought, wow, uh, here's someone for Theology Live. And uh, David has been doing, uh, over the last few years, been doing PhD research into uh, disability and theology. And uh, I think it's going to be bringing something of, of that research. His book is about to be published uh, later this year uh, of, of his PhD. Uh, he's got connections with Spurgeons, but also is an ordained Baptist minister and pastor. Uh, and David, we're really looking forward uh, to your paper uh, as you bring it to us now. Thank you. Right, well, thanks very much, Andy, for that generous introduction. Um, yeah, I've spent quite a bit of time recently, um, over the last few years, looking at questions of, of disability and Christian theology and ministry, not because I myself have, at the moment, uh, a disability, but because it seems that if we pay attention and listen, we then need to make, or at least attempt, a positive and constructive and distinctively Christian um, response. Uh, what I'm going to bring today is not directly out of my PhD, it's from some related work that I've, that I've done. Um, but uh, lots of churches are thinking about disability um, increasingly uh, in terms of worship and activities and facilities and access. And when they do, the question that very soon comes up is, well, what about healing and healing prayer ministry? You can hardly move in the Gospels, after all, without finding Jesus healing somebody. Often with the words, your faith has healed you, or your faith has made you well. Um, and it, it's well known, isn't it, that the Greek word there for has healed you, sitokin, uh, also carries this sense of has saved you. And so, so Jesus, the, the church has felt Jesus mandates uh, healing ministry, and it's always been part of the church's work. But what really Jesus intended those words to say uh, about what's going on here has been a, a kind of prickly question. So um, a, a lot of people, when, it, when we talk about healing ministry, will recount um, unhelpful experiences of the more charismatic forms of healing ministry. Um, those who've not experienced immediate healing or the, the fixing of, of what it seems needed to be or people thought ought to be fixed, have, have been left feeling that non-healing is somehow their fault. Um, at the same time, or more recently, the, the young but growing discipline of Christian disability theology has also looked at questions of healing and the gospel healing narrative. But he has become to a very different place from the, the charismatic movement. Um, disability theology, by the way, is the, the term generally used to encompass the field of study that, that aims to develop a positive theological account of disability. It recognizes and, and combats the fact that in much of Christian theology, um, disability has been invisible and silent. And it also com combats presumptions like the presumption that someone who we say is disabled would clearly want their body or their brain to be brought into line with um, what is statistically typical. Now, the objective of this paper is to hold together these two understandings of, of healing that are found in the charismatic movement and in current disability theology and to explore why 
why does it seem so different? And but also to ask, is there a way to bridge the difference that's positive and helpful, but also that's distinctively Christian and not just what we would like? It's not possible uh, just to reach into the Bible and to, to list out a ready-baked answer to these questions. Uh, the concept of disability in biblical times and throughout the history of the church, after all, has been very different from our concept of it today. But that doesn't mean that a lot of positive ground can't be covered. So rather than talk away in general terms, it's more useful to choose particular conversation partners for a discussion like this. I've chosen two. On the charismatic wing, I've chosen John Wimber. And on disability theology, I've chosen Amos Young might be less familiar to many of you. Uh, John Wimber and the Vineyard Churches that he founded were at the forefront of what I suppose most often called the third wave of the charismatic renewal movement, which has had an ongoing impact on the life of the church at large, lots of which has been very positive. So a renewed confidence in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, an expectation of seeing God at work, and the involvement of lots of people, lay people as well as ordained in prayer and other ministries. Now, when it comes to divine healing, John Wimber draws a direct line from the healing ministry of Jesus and the apostles through Pentecost and into the church. And David, can I just pause you one second? There are yeah. some people who are saying that they're struggling to hear. Right. Um, I don't know whether you can come closer to the microphone. Um, yeah. Okay. Is that better? Is that uh, how about now? Is that is that clearer? I can I get some thumbs up. Yeah. I think David, the closer you can go to the microphone, the better, because that will mean your voice is hitting it directly rather than echoing around the hallway. Right. Okay. Is that is that is that better? You're going to get a very big space now, but hey ho. That's fine. I think that is an improvement. Yeah. Okay, okay. So I was talking about um, John Wimber and the fact that he draws this direct line from uh, Jesus' healing ministry and the apostles through Pentecost to, uh, into the church. He takes those accounts in the New Testament, very, uh, I suppose we would say, at face value. And um, he expects Christians to encounter the same kind of thing today. He draws no distinction, importantly, between disease and which anyone might suffer from and hopefully recover from, and disability in all its widely varying forms. And all of these, he would say, are effects, effects of the fall and human sin. And through prayer and faith, divine healing is available to, for all diseases and impairments, physical, intellectual, or emotional. Now, Amos Young, by contrast, um, he takes a very different approach. He's particularly helpful here, though, because he's presented his theology in quite a systematic way, and he draws together a number of the strands of current disability theology thinking. Jung does draw a clear distinction between disease and disability, neither of which he links to sin or demonization. And he also distinguishes healing and curing. So um, what we call disability, he would say, is not something that needs necessarily to be cured in the way that disease needs to be. And Jung recognizes that in some cases in the gospel, yes, there is an emphasis on curing, 
But he would say in all cases, what is most important is that people are made whole in a holistic sense. And healing is, is therefore predominantly about health and wholeness in all aspects of life. And crucially there, the healing in that sense incorporates often explicitly restoration of the outsider into community. So, so you see these are two very different views um, being read out of the same Bible. But those two views only really make, begin to make sense when we look at them in, in their wider theological context of charismatic renewal or disability theology. So if we go back to Wimber, uh, his influential books, Power Healing and Power Evangelism, written with Kevin Springer, they, they take the form of testimony from his work as a pastor and an evangelist. And they, they tell of healing experiences, and then they draw parallels and, and validate them by drawing those parallels with uh, events in the New Testament. Theologically, Wimber starts from the point that as a result of the fall, as he puts it, physical suffering from disease, accidents, genetic disorders, and ultimately physical death affects all men and women. And all of this comes under a very general heading of sickness and is caused by Satan, either directly through demonization or through infection or accident or indeed through sin. And all of that is very closely allied to the idea that the Christian life is spiritual warfare. And so prayer for healing is, is part of the conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And healing is a victory of one kingdom over the other. And the experience of that is the very demonstration of the truth of the gospel itself. That's why it's for Wimber, one of the main purposes of divine healing is evangelism. So that demonstration of the power of God to heal and to save leads those who experience it or witness it to come to faith in Christ. Now, within that battle, the power of the Holy Spirit to heal is rooted in the saving power of the cross and the resurrection, the atonement. And because that destroys all the works of Satan, not only is death defeated, but in the age to come, there is perfect health, whatever that might look like. Um, now, Wimber acknowledges that there is a, a question in there, which is, is healing then in the atonement and available to everyone now in the same way that forgiveness and salvation are in the atonement and available to everyone now he doesn't resolve that he also recognizes that there are there are instances of non-healing but when he gives testimony of those non-healing instances the reasons he gives are there's a number of them there's lack of faith in one or other of the parties involved uh, there's unconfessed sin as a barrier to healing. There's disunity, sin, or unbelief in the church, or incorrect identification of what to pray for, or stopping praying too soon. But all in all, what Wimber's approach seems to leave very little theological space for any, anything that we perceive as an imperfection or a variation of bodies or brains to be anything other than, I suppose, what we would call a badge of the fall. Or for those living with what we would call disability to say that they are complete and not in need of being fixed. 
So, so that's where Wimber's view of healing sits in his theology. If we look at John, um, where does his sit? Well, his idea of healing is this holistic uh, thing that happens in all areas of life comes from his context. John was very influenced by growing up with his brother Mark, who has Down syndrome. He gives a lot of testimony of that. He's very moved by Mark's freedom in worship and, and Mark's enthusiasm to pray for others and minister to others. And so he says, well, Mark's particular chromosomal makeup seems to be as much part of him as anything else. And to Jung, it seems absurd to claim either that it's a, a result of sin or that it must be eradicated, either now or at the resurrection. To do that would seem to eradicate Mark as a person. And so Jung said, this appears, this view seems um, to be a symptom of a prevailing over-medicalized view of disability. It's only ever something that's a problem to be, or a defect to be solved or fixed either through clinical intervention or uh, in a Christian context through prayer. Now, so in contrast to the, the kingdoms and spiritual conflict approach of the charismatic renewal movement, Jung says, let's begin with humanity made in the image of God. He says, well, if we ignore the actual variety of bodies in doing that, that would be inherently include exclusive. The Jung its theology says you have to encompass bodies and brains as they are. And to that approach, he applies the philosophical idea of emergence. That's the idea that what we experience in the world and in life is always more than the sum of the parts. You can't reduce things right down. And so Jung begins with our bodies and brains in all their variety. And we would say that all that we experience, our whole range of physical and cognitive properties and abilities, well, it arises out of, and it depends on our various physical properties and parts, it's emergent from them, but it can't be fully explained by those physical properties or reduced to any one of them. We're always more than the sum of the parts. So on that account that he's bringing to bear, disability, can be understood as part of the wider phenomenon of being human. He says it's emergent from disparate factors, biological, social, political, economic, uh, geographical, but you can't reduce it to any one of those or any subset. And, and then he goes on and applies the same idea to healing and to the church and to salvation. So salvation, for instance, yes, it's effected by Jesus Christ, but for the individual, it's emergent as all areas of life move away from sin towards reconciliation and peace. The church, the church is a, a hospitable community. It's formed as it's emergent as of people and events by the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's not reducible to individual people or events. And when he talks about that, Jan says, well, look at 1 Corinthians 12, the body of Christ. To be authentically the body of Christ, the community must be emergent from the whole variety of humanity. And therefore, it must include the most vulnerable to one Corinthians 12 in our, in this particular discussion, those with disabilities, not as an afterthought or as an extension, but at its core. And so with healing, it, healing is a holistic experience of wholeness. 
that is experienced through that hospitable community. And it's emergent in all areas of life. It's not reducible to or identifiable with one person, one event, one intervention. So one of the consequences of, of Jung's um, ideas of healing coming out of that theological uh, melee is to resist the idea that all perceived impairments must be eliminated at the resurrection. Because one of the dangers of that is that we then unconsciously promote a church that reflects that in the present, uh, an absence of people with disabilities. And so in doing that, Jung, very much like other disability theologians, points to the wounds in the hands and feet and sides of the risen Jesus. And so don't they ask us to consider, um, is there not a continuity of impairment in some way in the age to come? And does it not invite us to encounter Jesus in the experience of impairment and vulnerability now? So, so two approaches then to healing, very much part of their wider theological context. So, so where, does it, where does the difference really lie? At first sight, it seems, well, maybe it lies in the concept of faith. It's either spiritual warfare or it's the emergence, uh, something that's emergent in the community of the body of Christ. Or maybe it lies in the power of the gospel. It's the power of the gospel, the, the, the defeat of Satan through signs and wonders. Or is it the embracing of the vulnerability of the cross and looking for evidence of that? What I want to suggest instead, though, is it's something more fundamental. But it stems instead from a, a different emphasis on how God does things. How does God act? within creation through the power of the Holy Spirit to do his will and to see his will done. And if we had time, well, I think we could look at those other differences and find that those are probably manifestations of the same thing. So Trinitarian Christianity holds that within the Trinity, there's, there's both unity and distinctiveness. Each of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is fully God and yet remains distinctive with particular roles. For example, it's the son in particular who is incarnate, who dies and is raised, although he does so as fully God and in relationship with Father and Spirit. So on, on a Trinitarian account, the Holy Spirit is the on the one hand is the, the unifying spirit of God that works throughout creation from the outset as the life-giving breath of God. But on the other hand, the Holy Spirit can act distinctively and personally to intervene in history and in particular lives to bring about, for example, the resurrection of Jesus or a believer's set of faith. I think we, we would probably all have to admit that as Christians, we, we find ourselves always trying to navigate two opposing dangers here, something that has to be held together uh, and the detention. The danger is, on the one hand, separating the actions of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit too completely. And so we lose sight of the unity of the Trinity. But on the other hand, the danger is failing to distinguish the persons of the Trinity sufficiently. So losing sight of the distinctiveness um, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the comparison of what's going on in Wimber and Yom 
and in charismatic uh, theology and disability theology seems to reflect this as well. Jung actually writes a lot about the Holy Spirit. And um, just to quote him, he says, God is universally present and active in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the presumption of all human relationships and communities. It's great stuff. And that emphasis, uh, we find it in his expression of the church as a hospitable fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and as the place where holistic healing is experienced that can be experienced by all. But while that is very strong in the Holy Spirit pervading creation with the transforming presence of God, it seems in a probably inadvertently to play down the freedom of the Holy Spirit as the distinctive third person of the Trinity to intervene in particular experiences of an individual or a community, perhaps through healing as a powerful sign of the kingdom. Wimber, his emphasis on the Holy Spirit as the one who's encountered in signs and wonders, particularly healing and words of knowledge, seems to do the opposite. It's strong on the distinctive, disruptive, transforming power of the Spirit in the moment. But it plays down with the broader, unifying presence of the Spirit throughout creation and in creating hospitable ecclesial communities and relationships. And in doing that, it seems to presuppose what constitutes healing and doesn't allow space for those considered uh, and labeled as disabled to, to find faith and the presence of God within life as it is and to experience that as a true healing. This is a very, very brief study, but, but it does indicate that rather than these two views of healing in founding the charismatic renewal movement and in current disability theology seeming destined to be forever estranged and grow further apart, actually the better seen as arising as if emphasizing one part of a Trinitarian view of the Holy Spirit at the expense of another. Each, each approach has aspects that we wouldn't wish to lose, whether it's confidence in the exercise of spiritual gifts in the church, or the idea that healing doesn't have to mean conformity of all bodies and brains to what is statistically typical. But the encouraging thing is that insisting on a, a robustly, distinctively Christian, Trinitarian view of the Holy Spirit draws together the positive contributions of both approaches. What it demands from us is recognizing equally the Holy Spirit's presence and work as the, the Spirit of God creating all constructive relationships and communities and his work as the distinctive third person of the Trinity, bringing resurrection, salvation, and signs of the kingdom. And, uh, and it requires us to see that each of these is equally a miraculous work of God, the Holy Spirit. So I, I offer that to you as something perhaps to think about, uh, but uh, open to any questions now. To which others, of course, may not have answered. Thank you, David, for that paper. And uh, I wonder if there are any questions uh, out there. 
uh, Ruth and Martin, you've made some comments. I wonder whether uh, either of you want to, to share that comment and make a question there as well. Um, yeah, uh, it's just about the distinction between, um, between disease, sickness and disability, which I'm very familiar with those discussions. David, do you, um, is there a risk, do you think, of overemphasizing the distinction rather than recognizing that to do so is probably a reaction, as I said in my comment, against the assumption of equivalence. Yes, I, I think I think that's right. Um, and you know, when when you scratch the surface of the of the discussion, the, the debate that goes on, um, you certainly find that, and not just within the church. You know, if you read Tom Shakespeare, for instance, um, who writes very well on on these things as a sociologist, yeah, he he would say. The distinction goes does go too far, just as the, the, the very, very strong distinction between social and medical models of disability can go too far. And, and he says himself, you know, the two are very often linked. Um, that people with various types of disabilities often suffer are particularly prone to particular types of disease and and sickness, and equally, sickness can often lead to disability. And and so the distinction, I think, often is a reaction, and the reaction can go too far. Uh, I think the distinction has to be made in order to shift the thinking. But in the end, our thinking always has to be more nuanced. So I think it's a really good point to raise. You know, we're, we're, we're not, and I, I guess, in a sense, it's, it's part of what we're saying here, is, these are not two completely separate things. Um, they are different emphases, and what we need is to, to recognize what's going on in each emphasis, and then to take what's, what's good and positive and, and a useful contribution from each. So yeah, very good point. Thank you, Martin. Is there another question from someone? Silence. Everyone wants to go to lunch. Maybe that's what it is. Um, David, thank you for your paper, which richly um, brings into conversation John Wimber and Amos Young. Um, and I think, you know, Wimber's theology very much lives on uh, in, uh, you know, in, in Soul Survivor and other places and New Wine uh, and, and, it would be interesting to see if, for me, actually, the impact. Is there a, is there a problem there where the disability theology, theology is not reaching into uh, uh, church practice in those kind of situations and what kind of conversations might emerge? And you've given us some food. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, in fact, just to give a quick advert, Martin and I are part of a, a group in the Baptist Union, the Disability Justice Hub, and we are we're just at the beginning of trying to produce some resources for churches, um, which are, are not, not theological um, kind of navel-gazing papers, but hopefully useful uh, practical uh, ministry insights in theological terms and with, with theological grounding. 
but uh, that hopefully will be useful to get those kind of discussions going. Um, and that's also that's also a quick advert. That's also what my book is about. It's coming out in March. Um, it aims to do the same. It's to say, you know, you've got to start where you are. You have to start with the gospel that we preach, and say where where is a foundation for disability theology within that. And um, you can't start with something that's miles away. Thank you. Well, we're about to go to lunch. Uh, we've had a, a really rich uh, morning of different kind of papers uh, and uh, there'll be more this afternoon. So lunch is uh, going to finish about 1.30. Uh, I'm sure Simon may open up breakout rooms again. So if you want to try and arrange to meet anyone. But just as we go to lunch, let me just do a little bit um, of plugging. If I can work it out to make this work. Um, so some recent theology that's out there. A book came out last year called Re Reconciling Rights. Uh, you can find it on Amazon for £20. A collection of essays from Myra Blythe, who retired from Regent's Park College um, last year. David's new book uh, is published in March. You can uh, get 20% off and a free shipping order uh, if you go to a particular website, which I'll stick in the chat. Uh, if you want to pre-order that book, a very good offer there, uh, which is coming out, which is really good. Um, Philip, who was one of our contributors earlier, uh, has contributed to African Voices Towards African-British Theologies. So if you want to engage more with his thinking and some other voices. Uh, and Lena's own book, uh, which came out a few years ago, Transforming the Struggles of Tamars, uh, is also available. So let me plug that. Uh, and Marion Carson, who's going to be uh, speaking to us after lunch, has books on uh, the Bible and human trafficking uh, there, which might be of interest. And so I recommend uh, looking at that. Um, uh, Tim Judson uh, contributed an, in a very small way to a very good book called Journeying to Justice. Uh, so you might want to check out that contributions to the Baptist tradition across the Black Atlantic. Uh, and Steve Holmes uh, uh, has his book on Baptist theology and he'll be speaking to us at the end of the day. Uh, and lastly, I can just a little plug for myself because I'm a co-host. I've got a new book out, uh, which is going to be uh, a subject of a launch at the end of Feb, uh, which you're very much uh, invited um, to come and join and be a part of that. Lena is speaking again. Hopefully she's going to be kind to me. Uh, and if you uh, sign up for this, uh, for that book launch, uh, you can get a discount on my new book as well, if you'd like to. That's the plugging done um, for those, but I encourage you to, um, to do that, uh, engage with the thinking beyond uh, today.